Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today, we're delving into trauma and church hurt. When we're looking at this issue of trauma and church hurt, um, trauma is prevalent in probably every aspect of just about anyone's life, some form or some fashion, and I would say it's a spectrum. So when we use the term trauma, a lot of times people will say, oh, this huge tragic event, when in reality, the way in which we react to any given situation can be reflective of some degree of trauma. One of the helpful things that I learned is that there's like A trauma and B trauma. And A trauma would be trauma that is a singular or just like a a handful of times, an event that was super painful, super hard, like being raped or being in a car accident where you nearly die or a natural disaster or a burning home, big events that were very dramatic and very life-changing. And then there's B trauma. And B trauma is more subtle and thematic. It's like every day of my life, I just felt like that I didn't matter or I just didn't have my emotional needs met as a child or deep connections um, for my entire childhood. And so it's more subtle, but because it's more consistent, it's actually harder to heal from B trauma than from A trauma. And so what happens when we go through trauma is that in trauma, we develop beliefs. And we've had previous podcasts where we've talked about beliefs and how they affect us and inner healing. But really, as a man thinketh, so he is. What we believe, whether conscious or subconscious, is really what makes us who we are. Well, it's every as a man thinketh within his heart, so he is. And so it's oftentimes those beliefs of the heart, which are oftentimes what we would refer to as subconscious. Right, because if it's in our mind, it's really in our awareness. And right. if it's in our heart, it's more felt. Exactly. For instance, you have a childhood where you are secure and you have deep loving connections with those around you. You feel safe. You feel celebrated. You feel significant. And then um, you go through a significant trauma. Your house burns down around you. Then in that moment of trauma, all of a sudden, all these things that you feel to be true have now been shaken. And in that shaking, you develop new beliefs. You, It's usually not even in your awareness. You, It's just kind of like, oh, my gosh, I'm not as safe as I thought that I was. Like, mm-hmm. It's almost like reality has been peeled back, and I ha- now am being exposed to a new reality. And when you look at the, the study of in severe situations where there's domestic abuse in a home, um, there's been a lot of study in regards to this of the effect it has on the children. It really depends on the age of the child and their comprehension, and it really depends on really the personality of that child, right? So if you have a kid who is perfectly fine with the fighting that's going on, it's not going to be traumatic for them, but maybe their sibling is just terrified of what's going on. And, And they're both in the same exact situation, same exact home, but they come out with completely different beliefs internalized in their heart. Right, exactly. And so it's not what happened that really ultimately produces trauma. It's what you believe absolutely about what happened that produces the trauma in the person. A perfect example is being in a car wreck and maybe two people are in the car wreck and one person believes I'm going to die and is terrified and the other person doesn't believe that is like, oh, you know, this wreck is happening, but we're going to be okay. And so then one person becomes very sensitive to driving in cars, very reactive, and the other person it doesn't really affect. Mm -hmm. 
The same thing with growing up in a home, like let's talk about bee trauma, where maybe you have an introverted child that really enjoys alone time, really likes to be to themselves, like to read books, like to watch movies alone. And then you have a very outgoing extroverted child that needs attention, needs interaction, needs to have other people highly involved in their lives. And both parents are introverted and they want to be alone. Well, the introverted child doesn't feel alone and not seen and not cared about because they're also enjoying the aloneness. But the extroverted child, it could be actually very damaging to because they're constantly feeling rejected and not cared about. To heal trauma, you go in and you deal with the beliefs that have produced have been produced in that place. But the problem is a lot of times those beliefs are not in the conscious forefront of our mind. And so there has to be what you always like to refer to as heart work. There has to be a and, and I want to be clear here, when we're looking at heart work, we're not saying, hey, I'm going to sit here and contemplate my navel, like with uh, like mysticism or whatnot. It's actually going to places in your heart with the Lord and asking the Lord, hey, reveal these things because I keep reacting in these specific situations and I know it's not appropriate. I don't even believe how I'm reacting as being true. I know they're wrong, but I don't know how to address those issues that keep reoccurring in my life. Right. So if a situation happens and you logically know I'm not being rejected, but I'm feeling really rejected right now, you see double mindedness. You see a discrepancy between what you believe to be true in your conscious awareness and what feels true. And so that tells you that there is something subconscious going on because in earlier podcasts, we've established that you can't have an emotion without a belief. And so in that place, we're actually inviting Holy Spirit to help help us understand, help reveal what's really going on in our hearts. And the word says that you're not going to ask a good father for a piece of bread and he's going to give you a stone. You're not going to ask for a fish and he's going to give you a serpent. We don't have to be afraid when we're asking Holy Spirit to guide us and to show us what's really going on in our hearts that somehow we're going to get a demon. Yeah, we're not going to ask God as and, and to be clear, when you are consecrated in your heart before the Lord, you don't have a lot of hidden sin, right? You're dealing with these issues and being honest and repentant before the Lord, and you're pursuing God with fervency and, and sincerity. He's not going to give you a bad gift. He's not going to permit or allow demonic deception. I, I see so often so many people are afraid of the supernatural as attributing more power to the demonic than to their own Savior in whom they say they worship. Yeah, we have to have more faith in the Lord's ability to guide us than in Satan's ability to deceive us. Because if your grounding and your rooting is in the Word of God, and that is your foundation, that is your plumb line, it's going to be really hard to be deceived. It just is. When we ask Holy Spirit, you know, show us where this is coming from. Show us, show me why I'm feeling rejected in a situation where I know these people have good hearts towards me. He might show you a place in your history where you felt rejected. And like Casey said, the younger that you are, the more trauma impacts you. And part of that's because the younger a person is, the less coping mechanisms, the less understanding that they have. Right. There's not a verbalized comprehension to describe or attribute what's going on in the heart and it's been proven that those kids who are like infants in the home who see their parents fighting and see um, their parents being uh, physical with one another they'll just start crying 
and they're seeing these things and they don't know how to comprehend. And so when they're older, they're not going to be able to deal with these issues because they don't have words to describe what they felt as a child. It's not possible. And so these are deep-rooted beliefs that are ingrained in the subconscious or, as we would say, ingrained in the heart um, that is really affecting you. And really, your only perception of them may be your emotional reaction. Yeah. And so it might just be like, I don't feel safe or I feel really uncomfortable with conflict or this just really puts me on edge. You might not have ever processed it and really understand understood why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. The good thing about trauma is that it is healable. That Amen. That I've seen so many people that have been healed from going in and finding their wrong beliefs. And as an adult, you can, you know, hear from the Lord and, well, as a kid, you can hear from the Lord too. But when we go in and we find those wrong beliefs and we ask God about them and he brings in truth, the truth sets you free. Amen. It literally changes your emotional reaction to things because you've gone in and dealt with the belief that was being triggered that was producing those negative emotions. Mm. And so we actually want to apply this to a specific area, and this would be the area of church hurt. Casey, talk to me about church hurt. As a pastor, and just even before I was a pastor, it's very evident to me that a lot of people don't know how to deal with conflict or deal with frustrations, concerns, or with areas of unforgiveness that people have through offense. And what that leads to is church hurt. When you have people who have been hurt or wronged or even perceived hurt or perceived wrong from churches, I I used to work, and I mean, I still have worked in secular areas, and a lot of the things that I've run into is people who say, like, I, I know a lot about Jesus, but I don't like the people of Jesus. And I think Gandhi is most appropriately referenced in this, in that I love your Jesus, but I hate your Christian because Christians rejected him because of the color of his skin. And you look at that same thing within um, our world here in the West. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, this Jesus, this love thing that you keep preaching is sounds great, sounds wonderful, but these Christians that say they follow him are all hypocrites. And so a lot of people get offended, they get hurt, they get embittered towards the church, and then ultimately towards God, the one true God. And our Savior Jesus is through Um, these offenses and these bitternesses. And the thing is, is that when we look at Jesus and we look at who he is, he is all about forgiveness and grace and kindness and gentleness. So when people are hurt within the church, it's because there's other sinful people involved, and it's not necessarily representing who Jesus is. And so it's really the enemy coming in, causing destruction. The enemy wants to kill, still, and destroy. He wants to separate and cause division. You know, read the the works of the flesh in Galatians. And he really wants destruction. And so we're allowing the enemy to win when we take that hook of bitterness and, and get caught on that, lo- that fishing line and get reeled in. And so we are agreeing with the enemy. We're agreeing with not grace. We're agreeing with offense. And many times what I see is that some of it is rooted in the person themselves and where they're finding their identity and wholeness. And the other part usually is rooted in maybe someone else not walking as Christ walks. So let's talk about the first part of that. The first part would be if I'm serving the Lord 
or attending church or in ministry because I don't have a deep, deep sense of God's love and acceptance of me, and I'm trying to maybe earn his favor, and I'm feeling justified because I'm attending church like clockwork, or I'm serving, or I'm in ministry, and in that I'm finding identity and I'm finding justification before the Lord, then if you take away my ministry, or if you tread on it, or you hurt me in some way, then I'm feeling separated from this very thing that's making me feel validated before the Lord. And so the hurt is compounded because now you've stepped on my identity. Now you've stepped on my security. And really, that's my fault for not having my identity in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. That's my fault for putting my identity into serving or into ministry and not into the Lord himself. And so I need to take ownership of my piece of the puzzle. Mm. And then the other part is that there are people in the church that don't really know Jesus. Before we get into that, I I completely agree. There's a lot of people that place their identity in something other than Christ and Christ crucified. It it has to be the solidarity of the gospel. It has to be Jesus. And I, I know so many people who claim an identity of, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a whatever denomination. I'm a deacon, I'm a minister. I'm a deacon, I'm a I'm minister. I'm a children's minister, I'm a worship leader. I'm a worship leader. Like, you get all of these different things and going like, no, that's something you do to serve the Lord and serve your body. That's not who you are. Who you are is, I no longer live, it is Christ who lives in me. And if that is not your identity, if it is not Jesus and Him crucified, then it's an idol. It is an idol in your heart. It is an idol in your mind. I am not a pastor first and foremost. I'm a Christian. Really, our heart should be like Jesus's, which he came to serve and Amen. not to lead. He he gave this example of, I am here to humble myself and to serve others. And if that's really our heart, then getting some service taken away is like kind of less on our plate, right? Yeah, it should be a it blessing. It shouldn't hurt you. Because our hearts are in it just for the others anyways. It's not about ourselves and about validating ourselves. Amen. So that being the first aspect. And then the second aspect being other people truly being rude, hurting you, saying mean things. And oftentimes we have to understand, as you're saying, there's a lot of people that go to church that don't know Jesus at all. They have a form of godliness, but they don't know him. Right. We have Pharisees, usually in every single church. We have... Sometimes there's even people a lot of Sadducees too. that are intentionally in local church bodies to cause division, and they worship Satan. Yeah, there's a lot of demonic plants. And I, I want to speak into that. We're kind of getting off topic a little bit, but this idea of if there is division within the body of Christ over tertiary issues that are not fundamental to the gospel. Which next week we'll talk about the difference. If there is division over such things, that is demonic. That is demonic. I don't care. I don't care what justification you have. I don't care what um, motivation you have. I don't care what kind of sincerity you have. If it is not over the gospel and fundamental orthodoxy, it is demonic. Many times it's stemming from people's need for control, people's need to feel right or validated, people with victim mindsets that are offended and wanting to blame others and not take ownership. And so there's just all sorts of reasons why we're all so broken and and why there's conflict in the church. But the enemy wants to separate and the Lord wants to bring unity. And so we can't let the schemes of the devil 
win and take place and deny the will of God, which is love, unity, forgiveness, and working through relationships. We need to grow in our own hearts and our own ability to process and to heal so that we can be like Jesus and extend grace, extend forgiveness. I'm not saying to let toxic people just run churches. I'm saying sometimes there needs to be boundaries. Never. But in our own hearts, we can't let toxic people maybe separate us from God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a lot of instances where we allow the opinions of others to sway our foundation in Christ. And if, and here's the thing, if we are swayed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, if we are swayed to and fro by everyone's opinion of us, guess what? No one would be a Christian. <laughs> no one would follow Christ because our foundation is not in the validation from other people. Our foundation is in the understanding that we have already been validated by Christ Jesus and the blood that he has shed for us that we have been bought and paid for by his blood. So the way that trauma works in church hurt is that when you go through something that's painful, you develop beliefs and you respond to those beliefs. And we have different coping mechanisms, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so some people are going to be aggressive. They're going to fight to justify themselves. These are the true F words. And to be known, and they're, they, they're going to do whatever it takes to, to be aggressive and to be understood for what they think is right. And then we have our avoiders. And many time avoiders, you know, they get offended or they get hurt and they refuse to confront it. They refuse to deal with it. They 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 just bolster offense in their hearts. And then they start looking for reasons to leave. They start looking for reasons why they're the victim and the, the other people are the bad guy. And so then they, they build that, build that, build that until it comes to a head and they leave. And then they might not ever re-enter, but we'll talk about that in the end. And then there's our freezers and they are going to just shut down, back off, our avoiders will still might act chipper. They still might be involved. They still might act like everything's okay, but they're not actually okay inside. But our freezers might actually step down from positions, shut down, stop attending things, stop coming, and really just shut down. And in their narrative, they just, in their mind, they don't feel safe. They don't feel known and heard. And so they that's their natural tendency is just to shut down. And then our fawners, um, those are our people pleasers. They are going to work hard to do whatever it takes to rectify the situation, even to the point of causing them their own selves harm, hassle, overwhelm. And from that, there can come resentment. And so we have these different ways that people react to conflict. And really, the right way to act is to, with power, love, and a sound mind, be assertive, be humble, be gentle have a conversation with the other person about how they affected you, how they hurt you, the emotions that you have from what happened, and give the other person the ability to respond to that. That's operating in freedom. I'm going to freely tell you how you impacted me, how it has affected me, and how I received it, and give you the ability to explain it or apologize for it or whatever. Well, it comes to a place of humility. It comes to a place of understanding that even if you are right, I want to seek unity for the sake of another person's soul. When you look at this place of division, the only thing that we should divide over is legitimate heresy, which is a contradiction of that, which is fundamental, which is the gospel. And so when we're looking at this aspect of church hurt, and knowing that a lot of people get offended, a lot of people get hurt. And I'm not saying they're not justified in their hurt. There are a lot of 
selfish people in ministry. We just talked about it. Their identity is in their pastorate. Their identity is in their worship leading. Their identity is in their role as a deacon. Teaching. And their their identity is in teaching. And so you have all of these different areas and where people legitimately have their value wrapped up in the things that they do, not in whom the Lord says that they are. And so we have this issue where people can actually have justified hurt because someone did mistreat them in leadership of a church or because the church did not handle something very well. And that's a whole other topic that we could get into here. Or even the other side of that, pastors are hurt many times by congregants. And so then they're leaving ministry because mm. of how painful it is. And and you have a lot of people, and this is something that really grinds my gears, is a uh, perceived wrong. Because here's the problem. Perception is not reality. Perception is subjective. Perception is not objective, and so there's a lot of perceived hurt or a lot of perceived wrong based off of how we have an assumption of how someone should act. For example, a lot of times pastors and pastors' wives and ministry leaders are set on a pedestal of infallibility when in reality they're people, and they are not perfect. The only perfect person is Christ Jesus. Are we told to be perfect? Absolutely. Can we be perfect? Only by the Holy Spirit's empowerment. And there's also really unhealthy pastors and pastors' wives that are that have orphan spirits that have their identity wrapped up in it. So then when people aren't serving or aren't doing the right thing, they're laying pressure and control onto people Absolutely. to try and manipulate them, to force them to do the things that they want them to do, which is also very unhealthy. You know, it swings both ways. But the heart of it is what is our belief? What is our belief about it? You know, are we going to align with bitterness, accusation, and disunity? Are we going to align with truth? love, perseverance. And we're not saying stay in a really unhealthy situation where you're being, like I know a pastor and he's being controlled by his deacons in a very demonic, pressuring, intimidation way, and that's not healthy. Nor should someone stay as an associate pastor when they have like a narcissistic controlling pastor that's belittling them and using different tactics to control them. Mm. This isn't healthy. This isn't what we're promoting. We're promoting there's been misunderstandings. People have gotten hurt. Let's work through it. And let's get healing. And most of most of the issues that you see in church are misunderstanding. But if you do have a situation where you have to leave a narcissistic atmosphere or a toxic controlling atmosphere, whether you're a congregant, whether you're in ministry, we can't let bitterness and cynicism protect us from future hurt. Absolutely. That is a trap of the enemy that will turn you from the kingdom of God, that will turn you away from the church, that will turn you away from Christians and separate you from fellowship and community that God desires for you to have. And it's not only that. Or let's take this deeper. Sin is not isolating or is not isolated to just you. Right? When you allow offense and bitterness to en- encroach on your life as a minister of the gospel, as a child of God, as a Christian in general, guess what happens to your children? When you allow that cynicism, when you allow these protection mechanisms that you implement to guard yourself from future hurt, and you allow that offense to be verbalized and expressed in front of your children, guess what? You might have the capacity and the capability to repent and turn to the Lord, but what about your children? Because what I've seen far too often is this constant 
issue of, oh, that's a pastor's kid. And that is not a term of endearment. That is a term of, oh, they're rebellious. Oh, they've turned away from God. Oh, they've pursued after the things of the world. Why? Because oftentimes parents have turned away from the church because of offense and hurt and personally repented, but never showed and displayed repentance, never showed humility in the leaving. And so their children take on that hurt and they turn away from God without the ability to recognize and understand that they need to repent as well, that they need to show love and forgiveness. And therefore, those children far too often stay away from the church, stay away from the Lord, and turn to paganism. Growing up, I had a good friend whose father was a minister, and some church hurt happened. And because the parents didn't portray grace and love towards the church and understanding, but instead made lots of negative comments, made the church out to be the bad guy and them to be the victim— the children really embraced that and they really saw themselves as victims and church as the bad guy. And it separated them from the love of God's body and church. And they might still have a relationship with Jesus. It might be skewed because, you know, it didn't stay on the right track, but they really don't have a love for the church. And you see that many times. And so it's our responsibility as parents to guard. And it's not just our children, it's our Mm -hmm. friends. We might have unsaved friends or family members And if we're going and talking about this terrible church and all the horrible things that they did to me, then that's going to embitter everyone around us towards true Christianity, towards unity, towards the will of God. And we're being used as an instrument of Satan Mm -hmm. to separate. And it's really stemming from this place of we're hurt. We feel the victim. We feel offense. And we want to be justified. We want to we want other people to to say, oh, my gosh, that was awful, how terrible, because we want to feel cared about and loved in a situation where we feel deeply hurt. Right. And so we need to recognize what's going on inside of us. We need to deal with our beliefs, have God minister to us and heal us, and then we need to reconcile. We need to stop putting this filter of cynicism over the church if we go from church to church to church and we're just looking for – flaws in the leadership or flaws in the congregation, we're going to find them. And we're using that as a form of protection to protect our heart from more hurt. But really, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you look for the negative, you're going to find it. If you look for harmful things or bad parts of people's personalities, you're going to be able to find it in anyone. And so then you are on this cycle of Mm self-fulfillment of proving that ministers are bad or proving that the church is bad. And that's not just embittering you, but it's affecting people around you. And then many times what people do is when their loved ones or their children fall away from the God, from God, they blame the church. And they're Mm -hmm. like, it's because that church hurt. And they don't take any ownership of that. It was maybe their reaction to the church, that Mm -hmm. maybe it was their own bitterness that embittered their children towards the church. It's our job as parents to to portray grace and to protect our children's hearts from bitterness and unforgiveness. We need to frame things in a way that will enable them to have grace towards the situation. We frame it in a way of displaying love. And I mean, we can be honest. I'm not saying be a liar. Um, to your children, but frame it in such a way that, hey, I don't have a fence. We decided to go separate ways. There's there's a difference of opinion here. Like there's not a, a slanderous uh, approach, but this is something we've seen historically of pastor's kids, kids in ministry, even family members get embittered towards the body of Christ as a 
corporate whole because of one person's offense not being dealt with in a in a humble way. The whole point comes down to that we have to own what we believe. We have to deal with our beliefs, get freedom, get healing, walk in unity and love and forgiveness and allow that grace to spread to others and to be portrayed towards the church. And so in that, we don't let it separate us from the from Jesus from his will of us coming together and being in unity and walking in love and doing ministry for the Lord's sake, we're not letting other people's flaws or the enemy's tactics separate us from the love of Christ and his will for the kingdom here. So when Paul says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, guess what? The church is oftentimes very ignorant of the devil's devices. So earlier I had mentioned this term heresy and what it is that we should actually divide over. There should only be one thing that we divide in, and that is this aspect of heresy. So next week, we're going to be delving into this area of what is true heresy and what is orthodoxy, what is right, proper teaching. So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.